this evening, one verse in Mark 9, one verse in Matthew 15, and two verses in Psalm 79. A little unusual for me, I usually stay in one place, but I've got these three places to launch from this evening. Mark chapter 9, verse number 22. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and Help us. The call of a father desperate for help. Now Matthew 15, 25 is the call of a mother desperate for help. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. In Psalm 79, verses 8 and 9, the call of a nation desperate for help. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O oh God of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Would you stretch your hands toward heaven, please, and ask the Lord to touch us in this place. Would you please speak to the Lord on my behalf? Oh, Father, Speak to us here tonight from your word, Lord. Oh, God, give us an appetite for the truth of your word, Lord. Grant us, Lord, an audience with you that we might find help that we need. Lord, let your word, let your word, Lord, find a place in our hearts. Give us grace to receive it. Give us grace to believe it and give us grace to respond to it. In Jesus' name, and everyone can say, Amen. Amen. I want to preach to you here a few minutes tonight on call and response. Call and response. Certain passages in the Bible lend themselves to this method of public reading. We preach revival in a few churches that still have Bible reading during the service. There will be a moment somewhere in the worship where the pastor or someone else will stand and read publicly in, in the scripture. And once in a while, they will read one of these passages that is called and response that is the leader reads a verse and the congregation 
responds with part of a verse or another verse. Psalm 136 is really, really perfect example of this. And we're going to do a little bit of call and response reading tonight. You didn't know you was going to get to participate in the preaching tonight, did you? Are you not against it, are you? Are you going to help me? All right. Now, your part is not hard to learn, okay? I'll show it to you the first time. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That's all. That's all you got to say. All right? Next verse. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, To him alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. I won't make you do the whole chapter, but that gives us an idea. And there are other psalms and other, other portions of scripture that lend themselves to that form of public reading, call and response. And this is also a form of of public speaking. The speaker makes a statement and the congregation responds. This years ago in our Pentecostal churches, this was common. The preacher would say a line and the crowd would respond, "Amen. Praise God. That's right. Preach it." I love preaching in Nigeria because they talk back to me. And it's not sassin either. They respond almost to every line. I like that. We've lost that art in our churches. Now, I, I realize that call and response in preaching sometimes has gotten out of hand. I've seen times when the congregation was so caught up in giving the response. I'm not really sure, Brother Jarvis, they were hearing the call. They were speaking up so much, I'm not sure they heard what they were responding to. I've wanted to ask the congregation a few times years ago, quiet down, because you're not getting this. But I hate to turn down amens, because there's been some churches I would be willing to pay $20 for one. And have, believe it or not. I'm not going to tonight, because I'm getting some. Don't go quiet on me. Because I'll have to start paying Odie to say amen. <laughs> so, call and response is a form of public reading, a form of public speaking. It's a natural rhythm, give and take. And it's also a form of public singing. Several of our hymns lend themselves to call and response. One of the songs that we sing in almost every revival, Thank You Jesus. Thank You Jesus. For You brought me. A mighty long way. A mighty long way. I like, I like songs where they sing it back to me. But here's a hymn in our hymn book. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? For my part in this I see. 
For my cleansing, this my the blood of Jesus. So we know more of these songs than maybe you thought you did when I started talking about it. But a lot of songs have that call and response, that natural rhythm. And let me point something out to you here. When the call is given and the expected response does not come, it makes the call feel kind of empty. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, is not really complete without, for His mercy endureth forever. What can wash away my sin doesn't even make any sense without the response. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Many times the call must have a response in order for the call to make any sense at all. Do you remember the three calls in my three texts? A desperate father who has brought his son who is possessed of demons to Jesus. And he says, Lord, help us. And then a mother who has left her daughter who is possessed of devils at home. But she brings... Him, her to Jesus nonetheless. And she says, Lord, help me. And there's this backslidden nation that cry out to God for repentance and say, oh God, help us. Three desperate calls that must have a response. But these calls do not require a response from the congregation. They do not require a response from the church or those that are listening. These calls require a response from God. The desperate call from humanity and the blessed response from divinity. A desperate mother, a desperate wife, a desperate father, a desperate husband, a desperate child, a desperate church, a desperate pastor, a desperate nation will bring a response from God every single time. I'm starting off where I left off last night when we are desperate for a move of God and we call on God. God will hear and God will answer. I believe that with all my heart. God will hear our call and will respond. But it begins with our call. It begins with our call. And we will never call until we realize we all need help. On my, on my upper lip, right here under my nose, is a small scar. It has faded with years. It has had well over 50 years, probably 53 or more years to heal. 
in that faded scar, there is a story. And in that story, there is proof that little boys need help. I was a small toddler. We pulled up to some type of store, some type of business. We got out of the car. We started walking toward the business. And I don't remember any of this. It's all stories to me. And my mother said she reached down for my hand. I was a, I was a short little baby, a short little boy, short little legs. My brother said my legs were short because I ate too many chocolate chip cookies. I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not, but I'm sure I enjoyed every one of them. She reached for my hand to steady me as I stepped over the concrete parking block. And she said I pulled my hand away as if to say, I don't need help. I can do this myself. And almost immediately I tripped and fell face first into the parking lot. Now, I do remember some of this. One of my very first memories in life is a great big round light over top of me. I'm laying back and it's in the ceiling. And then a great big man appears between me and that light. And he's coming at my face with a needle that looks as big from my perspective as I am. Now, I do remember that. One of my very first memories is him coming at me with that needle. I don't know if he was going to numb it with that needle or if he was going to sew with that needle. I don't, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know that I stayed awake enough to know. I might have passed out right there. He put a few stitches in that cut. And life went on. But that little scar should have been all the proof I ever needed that I cannot do things on my own. That I need help. Oh, I wish I had paid more attention to that little scar. I would have benefited greatly if I had been reminded of that scar at critical times in my life. Davy, look in the mirror, boy. You've got a scar that shows you need help to walk. You cannot do this on your own. Are y'all getting me here? That scar should have been all the proof I need. Unfortunately, through the years, I have other scars on my body. I have other scars on my heart. I have other scars on my mind that still prove I need help. I'm not talking about only the scars on my elbows from bike accidents and back of my head from bike accidents and on my back from bike accidents and work scars. I'm not talking about work scars and car wreck scars and bike scars I'm talking about scars that you could never see that you cannot see that do not show up in a mirror but scars that interrupt my sleep 
at night. Many years later. Scars that hinder me at times when I am praying. Scars that push me every night to preach a little bit more passionately. To try to get someone else not to go down the same road. Maybe you wonder... Why are you so passionate, Brother Davey, preaching against the world and preaching for God and for revival? Because I always am aware of the scars that come when you ignore the help you've been offered. Oh, I'd love to preach to you here. We need help. Oh, how I wish I had learned from that very first lesson. In the parking lot. But over and over and over. I have been guilty. Of pulling my hand away. As if to say. God. I can do this. Myself. Oh I would never say that out loud. I would never. I would never say that under my breath to God. But my actions. Have screamed it at times. What can we learn from my scars? Well, my scars, my scars should teach you that grown men need help too. Thank God my sins are gone. I am washed, I am cleansed. Thank God for it. They are washed away by the blood of Jesus. I have confessed those sins and they are gone. They're underneath the blood at the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone, but the scars remain behind to tell the story. I have looked closely at some of my scars today, and just like I looked in the mirror at that one on my lip, so I could stand here tonight with a fresh vision and hopefully a fresh anointing and tell my dear brothers and sisters, we all need help. All of us. You may have struggled with one thing. You may have thought with one area of your life. And that is the area you need help in. But I don't know what the reason is. But we often pull away. Maybe we're, maybe it's a matter of pride, not wanting to admit, I need help. Under conviction, chafing at God's restriction, struggling with some temptation or addiction, something that has a stronghold in our lives. Why can't we say, I need help? We need help and we must call out for help. 
I have probably said this in the pulpit here before. And I will probably say it again. The very darkest times in my life, Brother Jarvis, could have been avoided if I had called out for help. If I had been, if I had been humble enough to say to my pastor, I'm struggling right here in this area and I need help. If I'd have reached out to a friend and said, I'm struggling in this area and I need help. Or if I'd have even went to my dad and said, Dad, man to man, I'm struggling right here and I need some help. But I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I was, I was too prideful. I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't perfect like they didn't already know it. I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling. I didn't want anybody to know that I had, that I had a, a propensity toward imperfection. I wanted to do it on my own. But I have realized we must call out for help. In 1 Samuel, there, there was a group of people that sat on their own side of the church. They kept to themselves. They had their own pews and they did not mix with anyone. They thought they needed no help until one day they did need help. The Ammonites came to Jabesh Gilead to destroy them. And the men of Jabesh had isolated themselves and had no help nearby. Maybe they concluded they didn't need any help. But can I teach us a truth tonight? Everyone needs help from the outside eventually. Jabesh, they were outnumbered and they realized it. And so they said to the Ammonites, we will serve you. Just don't kill us. And the Ammonites said, it's a deal. We won't kill you. You will serve us. But here's the condition. We want the right eye of everyone. Thrust out your right eye. Now this was guaranteeing at least two generations of slavery. Because they couldn't fight without their dominant eye. They couldn't shoot the arrow straight without their dominant eye. They couldn't go into battle with a sword with, with being completely blind on one side. It was not only them, but it was their children. So at least two generations would be slaves. What a horrible condition of surrender. Yes, you can surrender and we won't kill you. But we want your right eyes. And Jabesh said, give us seven days. And the Ammonites said, you can have seven days. And they sent runners to Saul and to the people of Israel. And they told them what was going on. They're going to kill us if we don't give them, every one of us, our right eyes. We will have no ability to wage war for two generations. And they sent these runners to Israel. And they came to Gibeah where Saul lived. And Saul was away at the moment. But they told the people. And the people lifted up their voices and wept. And then Saul came. And they told Saul they needed help. Isn't it something? After we realize we need help and we'll call for help, we'll tell everybody we need help. I mean, we're willing to tell the story then because we're desperate. 
And they were desperate. And Saul, who was not a spiritual man at this time in his life. He was not a godly man at this time in his life. I can't explain this. But he got so overcome with righteous anger that the Bible said the Spirit of God came upon Saul. The Spirit of God moved upon Saul when he heard the cry for help and his anger was kindled greatly. Now this is righteous anger. Don't try this at home, brother, on your wife, okay? That's not what that is, okay? This is righteous anger and it was kindled greatly, not sinful anger here. And he took a yoke of oxen and he cut the oxen in pieces and he sent them out to every tribe in Israel and, and he drafted them. But this is, this is more effective than a draft card. He said, everyone who doesn't come to help, I will chop you up in pieces like I've chopped these oxen up. And the draft worked. Yeah. They all came. And he told the servants, you go back to Jabesh and tell them tomorrow by the time the sun gets hot, ye shall have help. Hallelujah. Oh, what a promise. Can I preach here to God's people? Listen, I know you're God's people. I love you as God's people. I cherish you and appreciate you as God's people. But we are people that need help in several areas of our life. And if we will realize it, and if we will call on God. Remember what I'm preaching about? I'm preaching about call and response. If we will call, He will respond. And I came with what I feel like to the best of my ability is a word from the Lord tonight on Wednesday night. Here's what his response is. Ye shall have help. The Lord is going to come through. The Lord is going to show up. The Lord is going to move in ways that we need him to. We can't even imagine the strength and the power and the grace that's going to show up when we call on His name. Ye shall have help. In their desperation, these people that had never called out for help before, they didn't want anything to do with anybody else. They had their own thing going. You remember that old song from the 70s and 80s? Our pastor loves to preach against this song. He gets on it. He'll preach again three or four nights in a row. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Remember that old song? Me and Jesus got our own thing going. This is the party hated. We don't need nobody to tell us what it's all about. Nobody knows that song? Come on, surely, yeah. Me and Jesus, do you sing that song? I'm sorry if you do. <laughs> Please wait till I leave, praise God. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need nobody to tell us what, all, what it's all about. That's, what, that's the way Jabesh Gilead was. We, we got God. We got, we got everything we need until the devil backed them into a corner. And when they sent for help, they were so sincere in their prayer. They were so desperate in their plea that the Spirit of God moved on a king that was really wicked at times and said, I'm going to help you. Ye shall have help. 
By noon tomorrow, by the time that the sun be hot. But here's the way God often works. Saul showed up early. Early in the morning, he came down and rained fire down on the Ammonites. And he done, he put such a whooping on them. Y'all know what that means, don't you? Put such a whooping on them that by the time the battle was over and the Ammonites were running, there weren't even two of them running together. They were all running for themselves. They were so separated in their defeat that every man was trying to stay alive himself. God delivered Jabesh Gilead when they needed help the most. Hallelujah. Ye shall have help. Listen, I don't know who I'm preaching to. Maybe I'm preaching to me because I need him. But I know one thing. I've been calling out to him. I've been praying. I've been needing a physical miracle. We need God to help us. Yes, we do. And I feel like the Lord spoke to us here tonight. Ye shall have help. There's a dozen things I considered preaching tonight. But I couldn't get past the word of the Lord. Hang on, child of God. Help is on the way. Praise God. Ye shall have help. Their hearts of compassion were stirred up. And they saw the seriousness of the situation. And they responded through the power of God. And Jabesh was saved and got to keep their eyes too. Hallelujah. They got to keep their vision. Their brand new vision that they received from God now became permanent. God will help us. If we cry to him, the call and the response. Lord, I need help. And the response was already written. Ye shall have help. I came to church tonight. I walked all the way here. All the way to church. Walked all the way. No one had to walk home and it was all uphill up home. I came to preach to someone this evening. Ye shall have help. Do you need it? I need it. Do you need it? I need it. I have news for you. You're going to have it. Help is on the way. I don't have this story in my notes tonight I had no intention of telling this but I saw this greeting I saw it on a poster first and then I saw it on a greeting card in fact when I found it on a greeting card in a flower shop I bought everyone in stock and mailed them out strategically over the next few years to people I thought that needed them it was a western caricature drawing in this drawing a man has roped the horn of a big bull. And in the process of, of roping that bull, and, and he had the rope tied around the horn of his saddle, either the ground had opened up or he had went off the edge of the canyon. And he and his horse are flailing there in the air. The, 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 the rider, the cowboy, is off the horse. He's got a hold of the sandal, that saddle. And he's got his arm wrapped around the tail of the horse trying to hold on. 
The horse and the cowboy are, are suspended by that rope that goes up over the edge and it's around the horn of that bull. And in the, in the picture, the bull has all four hooves firmly planted, but you can see the sliding marks where he has, he has almost went off the edge. He's sliding over. And so some other cowboy runs and wraps his arm up in the tail of the bull and grabs a hold of the corner of the saloon. And the saloon is about 18 inches off its foundation, fixing to pull them all off. Y'all got the picture? Here's the cowboy and the horse, flailing for all there were, suspended by the rope that's around the horn of the bull. The bull doesn't want to go in, but he's sliding in. And the cowboy standing in the gap, holding on to the bull and holding on to the saloon. And the saloon is giving way, and it's all fixing to go to the bottom of that canyon, which you cannot see the bottom of. And the caption on that was, hang on, partner. Help's on the way. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, Nobody could get there fast enough to help them. But God can. I said God can. Some of you may feel like you are just in that much of a precarious situation. Almost ready to go over the edge. Physically. Emotionally. Spiritually. Whatever. Financially. And the Lord, I think, sent me here to tell you tonight. Ye shall have help. I come to tell you, hang on, partner. Hang on, brother. Hang on, sister. Help is on the way. It's not the first responders that we revere. It's the God that we serve. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Help is on the way. I was set up in the bus yesterday morning. We put a little video online every Wednesday morning called A Word for Wednesday. I was trying to record it there in the bus yesterday, I guess it was. And I hit the record button and the siren started off. And man, it just kept coming. For a solid minute, they were going to somebody. I always think, oh God, help those people. But what do the sirens sound like when you're the one in need and they're coming toward you? You ever thought about that? I never thought about that until yesterday. If I'm there and I'm giving chest compressions to somebody to try to keep them alive and I hear sirens, I'm saying, hallelujah, help's on the way. If my house is starting to burn and I hear sirens, I'm saying, hallelujah, help's on the way. This is bigger and better help than that. This is God speaking to us. Help is on the way. Would you stand with the saints of God?